You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Welcome. Uh, welcome, everyone. I'm Bill White. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Welcome to our friends who are on Zoom. Uh, really glad you're with us today uh, as well. And may this be a place of peace for us in the midst of a very, very crazy world. Uh, may this be a place of peace. Uh, City Church of Long Beach, we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. So that's our, our vision and that we, we think about it all the time. How do we live into that? How do we actually embody that vision of being radically welcoming, journeying towards Jesus, renewing all things? And uh, hope that we get to do that a little bit together today. I'd like to invite up our friend Katie White, who's going to pray over our kids. Uh, we love our kids around City Church, so if you'd welcome Katie. There you go. Let's pray for those kiddos. God, thanks for today, and thanks especially for the kids among us. God, thank you for the things that we learn from children and new ways we can see you. I pray that you'd bless them today, help them to love one another to know how deeply they're loved by you and god we just pray a special prayer today um just grieving all of the unrest and violence in the middle east and we just pray for children in uh, israel in israel god israeli and palestinian children and all that they're going through we pray your protection over them your peace and your deliverance bless this day in jesus name amen Hey, man, kiddos, you can go and hang out with Miss Katie and the other fearless leaders of kids ministry. And if you would welcome up Brenna Rubio, our other co-pastor. <laughs> How are we doing today, Brenna? You got that? How's that mic working for you? Uh, well? You know, I think it caught on the seat as I was standing up. So excuse me briefly, friends. Yeah, that's fine. You're good. Dealing with that. Technology is great. Um, Sometimes. We are in a sermon series right now. We're going through the book of Hebrews, which is a New Testament book. Uh, we don't know who the author is, um, but she writes this book. We're using pronouns uh, she, her for the author of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is. And since he, him pronouns get used for pretty much the rest of the Bible, like, yeah, why not take a shot for he, she, her for, for a bit in one, uh, at least in one spot where it's very appropriate. So she's writing and She's unpacking a lot of kind of the religious norms and rethinking those in light of who Jesus is and what it means for us to just be human, like normal human, not like superhuman or super religious human, but just really people. And what, what does spirituality look like uh, for people? And today we're we're entering in, we're in chapter three, and in chapter three, there are a couple of interesting things comes up, but it's a lot about the human heart and how sometimes it, it gets hard, and when it's soft, it's actually more open to God and, and to others, and that that's better than being hard. And, and there's some unpacking of how hearts get hard and, and why, why people who are designed in God's image to be fully human become less human by by closing down and so i wanted to read a, a message that i received from a, a friend who uh, 
this was on his way out of church uh, a little while back. And someone who I always, you know, I feel like City Church would be a great place. Um, but it just sort of describes this journey a little bit. And this is what he writes. Um, I'll get there. So on my own, I'm weak, short-tempered, bitter, and altogether unpleasant. On my own, I love solitude and guard my heart selfishly. I've, doing that, I've been doing that for years, and only a few people can worm their way through the blocks and walls that I have constructed. Mm. I really don't know why those walls were built. Uh, maybe they were done instinctively because I thought I needed them to survive on my own. Maybe you can relate to that. I've been taught, culture and maybe the church, to be self-sufficient. I hate admitting that I get frightened. When it comes to my emotions and heart, many things frighten me. And I've had a broken heart, one which isn't healed yet, and I don't want to revisit that pain because it hurt worse than any physical pain I've ever had. Logic battles with emotion, and my emotions are unschooled, but powerful when they are let loose. My heart feels like a torn battleground. I just want peace. I just want to love. I want to love God shamelessly and know, really know that he shamelessly loves me and is proud of me despite all my shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And as we lean in today, we're, we're leaning in saying, well, what if we knew our hearts as well as, as this friend knew his? Mm -hmm. What if our unschooled emotions, we could we could actually be hospitable to them. What if our, our thoughts and our reasons for maybe leaving religious communities or, or struggling to connect with God, what if we could actually put those on paper or in an email or in our private journals or in language to a friend and actually look at those things and, and go on this journey towards wholeness because otherwise it's it's blocks and walls mm -hmm. right keeping others out and mm -hmm. and we we lock down <laughs> and i had a great interaction with that friend this week um and his journey is is turning a corner and it's it's beautiful to see but i mean it's after years and years um of of hardening in his life and uh, yeah so that's what we're gonna work on today um so we have uh, a scripture reading from chapter three of hebrews and uh, if you'd welcome tomu morishida uh, tomu is on our board and one of his agreements of being on the board is that he would never have to speak on stage so i gave him the shortest ever bible verse that we're going to read it's only five words so we're going to stand in honor of god and in honor of tomu <laughs> not kill it man you got this do not harden your hearts yeah. Yeah. there you go people of god this is the word of god thanks be to god you may be seated ah so good thanks tobu i love this tiny little verse because it's so descriptive you know bill in just a little bit i think is going to take us a little bit more into like the context of this verse, right? Because it's important that we actually make sure we're looking around at all the other verses around it. Are we reading it appropriately? But 
there is something about just these, these few words that creates an emotional connection, just this, this automatic picture, and it's visceral, right? Don't harden your hearts. We can start to get a sense, even just to those few words of, of where we're going with this. And you know, it comes up twice. It's not just the one verse, verse eight, that Tomu just read for us, but the author, she repeats it again, just a few verses later in verse 15, do not harden your hearts. Clearly this was a thing, right? I mean, she's responding to something. She sees that there is a tendency that we tend to do this. We tend to want to make our hearts hard. So as we start just kind of like, all right, let's let that roll around inside of us and, and think about what that means. It might be helpful to think about the opposite, to say, okay, our hearts are not meant to be hard. What are they meant to be? Probably the opposite, right? They're, they're meant to be soft. We're meant to have tender hearts. What does that look like? What is a healthy, tender heart? Or maybe we wanna use the word soul look like. There's a picture that I found really, really helpful, um, starting actually even a, like a few decades ago, I think, you know, as I was, I was in a lot of counseling, I was, you know, going through a pretty intense part of my own spiritual journey, thinking about this area of my emotions and what it meant to be a whole person. And so I read this quote and it just grabbed me. It's by a guy named Jerry Sitzer, and he wrote a book on grief. It's called A Grace Disguised. And he was writing out of his own personal experience because in one tragic night, one tragic accident, he had lost his mother, his wife, and several of his children. And so it was sort of a biographical, autobiographical look at this journey of grieving and, and how God had met him in that grief. And he writes this describing a tender heart. The soul is elastic, like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. Loss can enlarge its capacity for anger, depression, despair, and anguish, all natural and legitimate emotions whenever we experience loss. Once enlarged, the soul is also capable of experiencing greater joy, strength, peace, and love. And when I read this little quote, it just like, it just clicked for me because all of a sudden I was going, yes, I so often have experienced, especially in, in the older people in my life. Now I'm actually, you know, it's a couple decades later, right? I'm, I'm veering into that category myself, <laughs> but in the old, the older people in my life, I see that there are two types of people in the world. Generally, there are people who their experiences in life, because we all experience stuff right? We all experience pain and hardship, suffering, loss of all different kinds. There are people that I knew who, having gone through all of these things, I could see this described them to a T. Their souls were elastic. And being around them was a joy because there was just in them this capacity to hold the complexity of life. I could go and I could laugh with them and I could go and I could cry with them. And either way, they would be present with me in it, just like they were present to their own soul. And then 
there were people that I saw whose souls had become rigid. Their souls were not balloons. Their souls were tough and hard and protected. And if I went to them with my joys, they might poo-poo them, right? And if I went to them with my sorrows, there's a good chance they would give me a religious platitude. They would tell me to, you know, be gritty. <laughs> they would tell me to, you know, just kind of toughen up. Whatever the phrase was, right? And I knew which person I wanted to be. And it was this picture of, oh, if I would let myself feel all the things, maybe I'm not actually going to get swallowed by them. Maybe this is how God is going to grow my heart. This is how God is going to expand my soul. And those are the choices that we often have in front of us. Now, again, those people who I saw and those places even where I still recognize, right? I can, I can lean towards rigid. I don't catch myself in the moment. And those people who over decades and decades and decades had practiced a rigidity of the soul, they came by honestly, right? It's like there are so many forces around us telling us that that's the way to be. There are just forces that are just like anybody in the world, you know, just kind of culturally are going to say like, oh, you know, because it, it's about success, right? It's grind culture. These are the ways that we, we manage and we protect ourselves and just keep hustling, right? And things will get better. Kind of this kind of toxic positivity sometimes and um, just ignore, just ignore your feelings. Capitalism, be a good productive citizens, citizen, right? You know, like there's just, so we can get all of those messages that kind of tell us to harden our hearts, just be a good producing machine. And then there's the religious part, right? That tells us, hey, if, if you ask questions, if you grieve, that's not faith, right? Be a religious robot. Um, there's always this, this kind of moralism that you're trying to live up to and this image that you need to project. It's not true, but it's what we get told in a lot of places and, and it, it hardens our hearts. That's, that's not what we're being invited to in a real relationship with God. A real relationship with God is about a soul that can feel all the things and grow and expand through it. So, so in Hebrews chapter three, um, there's this, she writes twice about keeping a soft heart as sort of the, the key to being human, to being really fully alive. And a soft heart means you're going to get hurt, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're going to feel the sadness, like Brent is talking about. The rest of chapter three, when, when I read it, and, and different people have different experiences reading the Bible, which is great. Um, some people, it's just like, ah, oh, just soothes their soul, which is mm -hmm. awesome. I love that. I was talking to someone yesterday who it's like, ah, oh, I just was listening to scripture and it was just so comforting. And I was like, that's so great. 
For other people, when you read the Bible, it sounds kind of like a rant. Have you ever had that experience? You open it up and it's like, it, it's like they're yelling. Why are you yelling? All and caps. All caps. All caps. So there's this section in Hebrews 3 where, as I hear her, she's a little upset and she's yelling. And so this is what she says. And we're going to unpack this in just a second. She says, now see to it. This is all in the context of the hard heart, soft heart. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And, you know, though she's talking about the people of Israel and going into the desert and, you know, God was angry with them for 40 years. Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? if not those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. It's a little loaded. She's, I mean, it's, it's a little loaded, right? They're like, she's coming at you. Um, so if people feel that, they're not imagining. It. No, you're not, no, it's okay. okay. You're not crazy. Yeah. Like, if you're feeling a little targeted and all this religious, so think about the religious language here, right? So it's coming out of, those with a hard heart is really an unbelieving heart. And so that's going to lead you to sin and disobedience. And then obviously, hello, condemnation. And many of us have experienced this in religious communities, this kind of, this kind of talk and, and this kind of process. As I spent a little bit of time with it, I, I wondered, maybe, maybe that's exactly what she's doing what this author is trying to say. But then I found myself thinking, you know, I wonder if she's using the language she had in her culture. I mean, this is written 2,000 years ago. And if we could rethink it, maybe she's actually trying to get at some of the things that we experience. And she's kind of unearthing a, a process that's actually kind of natural and normal and even healthy to understand. And so instead of thinking about, um, here, we're, we're going to unpack it here. Instead of having a hard heart, think about that as being invulnerable. Like, you know, like you're not willing to share with your friends what's really going on. Right? So instead of saying, hey, you've got a hard heart, like some sort of religious accusation, more of, a, of an invitation, like, gosh, have you shared that with someone else? It, it sounds like there's a lot of pain in there. Are you willing to be vulnerable? Like an invitation to vulnerability. And instead of an unbelieving heart, you know, again, like, oh, you don't believe. Like, well, obviously God's not going to answer your prayers. Kind of the accusation approach. What if it's actually, it's, it's hard to trust that God's really good, isn't it? Mm -hmm. When you look at the world today and you look at your life and your family, it's hard to trust. And there's this temptation to give in to cynicism. And what if she's saying, yeah, that cynicism, that's going to lead some bad places. But there's a hardening here. And then from, from the unbelieving heart, it's going to lead to sin and disobedience. Again, you know, very religiously loaded terms. But what if we just unpacked it as like, no, this is your self-interest going into overdrive. You trying to micromanage, you know, your, your boyfriend, right? Or you trying to, to um, 
control what happens at work? Or you trying to amass a lot of money so that you feel safer? Mm-hmm. What if sin and disobedience is actually just your worst self running loose? Like you know what that's like. And it's you do it because you're you're scared. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to protect. And you're like, well, I'm just gonna get mine. And instead of, and then the final piece being condemnation, right? And there's a lot of sort of, there's some shaming going on in, in this passage, you could say, if, if you're reading it as the rant, which is my first read. But what if it's not like God condemning you, God saying, I'm coming for you. Mm-hmm. What, if, what if actually she's saying like, the natural result of this kind of living, it's really disastrous. You really wound yourself. You separate yourself from others. You can't receive love from God. You cannot embrace your true self. You're stuck with shame and self-loathing. And this cycle is going to repeat. So it, it can sound like a rant, and a lot because of, honestly, let's be honest, a lot of us have received religious rants from others or mm-hmm. from ourselves, let's be honest. But what if there's an invitation here to surfacing these processes, these things that are actually going on inside of our hearts, so we could know how to be more human, human the way God designed us to be, human the way Christ was. So a friend of mine who's here today and shared permission um, for this quote to be read, uh, an educator. And so, edu- you know, working in a classroom is not apparently not that easy all the time. Who knew? I've heard it's even harder these days than that, a few years ago. That's what I hear. So, so this is what my friend wrote. They said, in order to survive my days at work, I have to stiffen my heart. It's not until I finally go home for the day that I emotionally feel the impact of the events, the interactions, the efforts of the day. The mix of emotions then is often demoralizing. I feel the sadness that I wasn't able to process throughout the day. I cry either in tears or through desperate prayers. Going to bed helps. <laughs> Spoken like a true teacher, right? Just want to go to bed. But did you notice that? So here's, this is honesty. This is actually super help, healthy because they're articulating this. And, and they're saying, actually, I have to stiffen my heart during the day, because otherwise I'm going to get killed. Not all settings are safe. Mm-hmm. And you know this. Not all settings are safe to share your big emotions. Mm-hmm. Not all moments are the right moments. <laughs> Not all moments are the right, right? You have to, m- maturity in some ways is, is being able to see them, name them, hold them until the appropriate person comes along or the appropriate time comes along, the appropriate therapist comes along. And so this is what they did. Now, if, if you do that day in and day out for years, your heart becomes hard, brittle. 
you're lot you start locking people out and locking god out you start becoming resentful and cynical and and this person knew like hey i need a change in my job i i i need to make a shift short term this is super healthy long term this is not but this is the nuance in how to be human right we've, we've got to do this dance mm -hmm. so that our hardness of, of heart isn't like leading into sin and into resentment and cynicism, all these things that destroy us, which is the condemnation I'm convinced this passage is talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, Bring it home. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's one other piece to this process, kind of in the background. It actually starts chapter three of Hebrews and it's another one where I think we can hear it a couple of different ways. And so I want to invite you to hear it from a soul is an elastic balloon kind of perspective. Okay. I want you to hear it from a, this is not telling me to, you know, gear up, harden. This is inviting me towards tenderness. And the way the author, she begins this chapter in Hebrews is, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Okay, so you can hear why I'm giving the caveat, right? Because that, that could be said to us as one of those religious platitudes. Nothing else matters. You lost your job, you lost your baby. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Thank you, that's not helpful. Thank you, you just told me I can't cry with you. Told me I can't share what's actually going on. What you're really telling me is you're not comfortable with the depth of my emotions because you're not comfortable with your own. That's what's happening in that moment. So that would be one way of hearing it. But then there's a tender-hearted way that says a couple things. One could be a very gentle, not appropriate in that vulnerable moment where someone's crying with you. But later on, we know they're going to get there. Yeah, this isn't the end of the story. Sin, evil, suffering doesn't triumph. Love wins. At some point, that perspective can be helpful, often not in the moment of crisis and pain. It's true. Love wins. But here's where it is helpful, even in that moment of crisis. That Jesus was someone who felt deeply. Jesus loved his friends and he laughed with them and, and he partied with them, right? He rejoiced when they were joyful. And he cried and he suffered. He had the full range of human emotions, and it was good, right? He didn't deny any of that. He shows us what it means to be tenderhearted, and, and he cares. Sometimes I think what people need most of all, what most of us have experienced, we need in those moments of crisis is just to know that we're not alone. What if fix your thoughts on Jesus is just to say like, you're not alone. Even in those moments when physically you may feel like you are, there's someone who loves you. 
and someone who has been through it all himself, who has been deeply human in the ways that you are deeply human. You have those moments where people like start crying and they apologize to you for crying, right? And you just want to say, no, your tears are holy. This is a deeply human moment. What if we believe that Jesus is the one saying that to us? That's what it means. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He knows exactly where you're at right now. You're not alone. Yes, this is not the end of the story. Well, some point we might get there. What you need to know right now is you're not alone. You're loved. Jesus is with you. Yeah, it just made me think of this one particular story where, um, this is sort of ad-libbing here, but where Jesus is facing this person in huge pain. And, and, and it's said that uh, in the, there's this Greek word that I just love. It's just a classic word because it sounds just like it is. The word is esplagasthai. <laughs> And it's like, so this guy is like in huge crisis and there are these people who are not relating to him well at all. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make him a religious robot, like dismissing his feelings, you know, gaslighting. Mm -hmm. And Jesus esplagastide. It just like, it, and, and the translation is like, he was all gooped up and ugh, messed up in his heart and it just hurt him. And it's translated either anger or sadness or kind of ex this, this big feeling. It's black. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, nah. Ah, right? And that's what Jesus was like. This is what Jesus is like. So I love that. So fix your eyes on the asplagistizer. He has big feelings sometimes too. Yeah. Like it's okay. Yeah, he's got that. Yeah. Um, sorry. Okay. That was <laughs> random. Little nerd moment. Nerd we moment. We like it. We like it. Um, so we'd like to invite up a local expert on these matters, uh, Yvonne Printers. Woo <laughs> Welcome, Yvonne. Um, Yvonne is actually not a local expert. She's just a regular human, but that makes her an expert. Yeah. So come stand dead center. There she is. Hi, Yvonne. Hi. Thank you oh, for being with right. us. <laughs> we appreciate you. So um, tell us how long have you been around City Church? Why are you here? Why did you stay or something like that? So my first service was um, that 10th anniversary service. Oh, in January. What a day. Yeah. So um, I was <clears throat> left at my church where I had found Christianity 21 years earlier because mm -hmm. of some um, misconduct that had been revealed that had been going on in the past and it come to light and I guess it hadn't been handled well. So I just had a moment where I was like, I need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And so I started Googling progressive churches and had a long list. And so that um, service was my first service ever outside of my home church. Wow. And it was a little chaotic and excited and there was a lot going on. But I felt in between all of that, I felt this sense of peace and sweetness and, mm -hmm. you know, that there's something that I want to explore on a normal Sunday. So I came back and I never really got around to my list that I had made. I just kind of stuck here. I might explore in the future. Yeah, but, sure, um, sure. Yeah. I said, let me see what what this and also um, 20 years prior, I used to hear a lot of preaching that um, our church was the one true church. And I don't hear it. I hadn't heard it for a while, but 
you know, that kind of still rang true in the background. So I was kind of curious as to what it would be like to meet God in a new place. Mm. Well, we are the one true church. So, <laughs> glad, so glad you found us. <laughs> the, the 65 people here today are the only ones in the world who got it right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, right. Um, so tell us, so this journey of of being a either a religious robot or sort of a, a cultural um like a productive machine mm -hmm. like so you work as a nurse and you've uh -huh. worked as a nurse for a while 35 years for a minute for a minute Impressive. all right yeah wow yeah. she started we when she was nine <laughs> our nurses um so like do you feel that pressure to just like get it done and not care for your so, like what what yeah, care for yourself I think, care for the I, I think know. both in work and in church in the past I've I've experienced that um I I think I shared with you that um in the past let's just say I called in sick there would be a nurse that they would place in my place um from a registry sort of like a substitute teacher but it's a substitute nurse mm -hmm. and now um if I call in sick they're going to ask a nurse who's either going to come in on her day off or she's going to stay over somebody that's been working night shift. So I see this mm -hmm. trend of doing more with less. Mm -hmm. um, right. And, you know, um, another example is like at work when people retire, because, you know, all the baby boomers are aging out and retiring. A lot of my coworkers have retired and have not been replaced. Right. So there's more work because there's fewer resources, either bodies or money or whatever. So, so, so how, what do you do with that? I mean, how do you find yourself not turning into a machine, caring for your heart so um, you don't get hardened, you don't get, you know, so protective of yourself, you can still feel and be human? I think it's just like a progression. Like, um, even in my old church, there was a progression of you got to do more, you got to um, do, 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 and you know, gotta, you have to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this is how you do it, it looks like this, and you're almost kind of like showing people that you're doing this, mm -hmm. and then there's a progression to, but that's not, that doesn't feel right, mm -hmm. and um, same thing at work, I can, I see some of my coworkers you know, jumping at those opportunities to work double shifts or work an extra shift or, and to me, that's never, that's never felt life giving. Mm. I don't know if that's the right way yeah. of saying yeah. it. Great I've always, so you actually paid attention. You're like, no, it's not yeah. it. Yeah. And someone, someone gave me advice early on as a single parent, you know, someone just pulled me aside and says, you shouldn't do that because you've got kids and these people have spouses and they have, uh, aunts mm -hmm. and uncles that are yeah. helping them and you're by yourself so you know consider not doing that and mm -hmm. i took that advice and yeah. i was like so grateful so even today um when those opportunities to work extra and get paid extra come i would mm -hmm. rather be at home mm -hmm. so it, it's yeah. just my yeah. temperament um yeah. just doesn't work with just doing a lot of work i i don't do well mm. yeah is there stuff around this um this process of keeping your heart soft towards God and actually feeling the big feelings. Mm -hmm. 
recognizing those, holding those for appropriate spaces that you relate to, that has been helpful for you, or is that something you struggle with? Like, what what is that process of integrating kind of uh, healthy self-care into your spiritual journey with, with Christ? Actually, it's something that I've struggled with because I have been, for the majority of my life, out of touch with my feelings. Mm. So, for example, going into a space, a church space, where you're told to do, 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 and this is good, and this is right, and this is what God wants. Mm -hmm. I never, I sort of got into that space without learning who I am and mm -hmm. what I need. And so... Um, it's more efficient for churches to do it that way because, yeah. man, we get stuff done. Yeah. And the same thing, being a nurse, you know, so you know, no, 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 no. You, um, you're in a caring profession. So yeah. it's like you're doing good. And that was what drew me to the profession was that I could help people. So it's easy to kind of get lost in performing almost. Yeah. And, um, you know, showing others that you're doing good mm -hmm. um, and not realizing that there's a being in here that needs to be fed and yeah. sort of like that old analogy of the airplane and the mask and you yep. got to put your mask on first before you can help others and me i for many years i didn't know there was a mask like it was just like look at me look at me i'm helping i'm doing and yeah, yeah. and then i you know kind of burnt out so i think the thing that helped me was in my old fellowship, people recognizing, you know, you might want to go to therapy. You know, they would tell me that for different reason, yeah. reasons, you know, and I had other people saying, oh, you don't need therapy. All you need is the Bible. So there was that, yep. that, and then, you know, finally deciding there's things about myself that I don't understand. I don't understand why I do certain things. Mm. And I went and it was, it was really transformative to help me kind of get out of that narrative that I grew up with, that I'm, you know, different and weird and unlovable and everybody knows something that I don't know. And I was always trying to figure that out. And so I would try to seek validation by doing. And so, okay. yeah, hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was so good. So healthy. Yeah. Um, I want to just uh, share what it just came to me. Um, so you were leading a group uh -huh. on self-care uh -huh. and then you stopped leading it. Uh -huh. How did you feel about stopping leading it? And why did you stop? So you just stopped recently, right? Right. So I had this idea. I've been around church long enough to know that church is made up of community. And um, it isn't just showing up necessarily on Sunday, but that the, the guts of it is like being in relationship with people. Mm -hmm. I knew that from my yeah. previous experience. And so knowing that I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of group I could be in. And so I thought about what do I need as a human being? And one of the things that I tend to neglect and be unaware of is my need for self-care. So I just threw it out there. Let me start a group on self-care. And, you know, we met a few times and I noticed that the response wasn't very consistent. And, um, and I've been in groups before that did well, and I've been in groups before that were doomed from the start, and I've seen different <laughs> permutations of that, you know. And so one of my goals in life is to recognize when something's not working, mm -hmm. to not keep beating it 
what a dead, you know, like a dead horse, but to recognize, oh, this isn't working for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Many years ago, when I was in that headspace of, I'm not good enough, no one likes me, I'm weird. When I was there, if I had had a group on self-care and I couldn't get this consistent involvement, I would have blamed myself. Mm. I would have said, oh, see, they don't like me, um, mm. I'm right. And I would have tried to prove yeah, that I could do it. Mm -hmm. I would have mm -hmm. just done more and more and more and, you know, you know, just stress myself out trying to make it work. But not this time. But not this time, because I realized that it could be me, but it could also be, hey, so-and-so's really busy right now. So-and-so forgot. So-and-so mm -hmm. talked to Pastor Bill, and Pastor Bill said, this might be good for you, but they didn't have the words to say, but I don't want to do it. So they agreed <laughs> to it, you know, because I've been that person too. I don't yeah. know what you're saying. Because <laughs> sometimes self-care is joining a group and sometimes self-care is right. saying, no, I'm busy. Right, right, right. So I've been the person in the past who didn't really know that the word no was accessible to me. And so in the church setting, if someone says, hey, Yvonne, would you, hey, Yvonne, would you mind? I would always say, say yes, because I didn't know mm. that I could say no. Mm -hmm. So in this group, I felt like I had to give people the opportunity to say no or time to process and see what that really felt like. Because sometimes, you know, you go to something mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. just doesn't feel right. Yep. And you don't even have words to express what doesn't feel right. But you just know in your being yeah. that this isn't really right for me. Yeah. And so I just felt like because, you, you know, the I guess what you call it, the I don't know what you call it, the belief or the guiding principle here is unforced. Yeah. One of our core values. Um, yep. That I couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't do what I've done and seen done, which is really coax people and pressure and pressure. Because sometimes when that happens, yep. you don't listen to that voice. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if you're not used to listening to that voice, you know, it's it becomes almost like the robot where, yeah. oh, okay, you know, yeah. let me do what I'm supposed to do and show up to this group and you're not listening to, oh, I'm stressed out. <laughs> oh, this was a busy week. Oh, I had a fight with my husband. Oh, you know, whatever that thing is. So out of self-care for yourself and others, uh -huh. you stop the self-care group. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that so beautiful? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, I'm not going to keep trying. I'm, this is... Yeah. We've given it enough time. That's so great. That we can actually say, and we can try things yeah. and not let them go. So, yeah. yeah. And that mm -hmm. we're still loved. Yes. We're still. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we actually, I just want to say, we want to celebrate that. And yeah. so you all know like, if you all ever feel like trying a group, awesome. And if after a little while you go, oh, I guess this did wasn't what I or others needed, we'll say, wow, you're amazing. Thanks for trying. Yeah. Great. Like, I mean, I just want to celebrate that. Yeah. We have freedom to try things and they can work. They can not work. Uh -huh. Either way, it'll be awesome. Yeah. Uh, do you have a question for us? You don't need to, but if you oh, did. Okay. So I thought of a question and that is, when do you all start to realize that you need some extra self-care? Like, what does that look like in your being or your behavior or? Well, that's a good one. Yeah. I actually, I'm like, sometimes I'm an introvert and I need to process that. I'm like, oh, I know that one. <laughs> um, it's when I start getting angry at other people for taking care of themselves, mm. right? I'm like, how dare they have a day off while I'm stuck here working or like whatever, right? Like, mm -hmm. 
if I'm mad at other people or having healthy boundaries, it's clearly because I am not taking care of my own healthy boundaries. Like that for me is what I've realized is a very, when I venture into that territory, I know that I need to take a break. Uh, this week, it was full week. Uh, we had a bunch of stuff last Sunday, afternoon, evening, and then Monday night was a big board meeting. Tuesday night was the fishbowl. Wednesday night, we had a, a potluck at my house and I'm lying in bed Wednesday night. And I'm, I'm, Katie and I, we always pray together before bed and chat for a minute. And uh, I'm like, I'm grumpy. <laughs> and she was not, she like didn't take it personally, which show, yeah, this is what happens after 30 years of hard work and a lot of therapy. You're like, hey, I'm not going to take that personally. My husband's grumpy. Um, it's like, why are you grumpy? I was like, uh, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, it's been a busy week and I'm going to need a couple of extra days to, you know, get back to normal. And so, you know, it took slower days at the end of the week. But a lot of it is just trying to pay attention to my body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That's a hard one. Yeah, good question. Thanks, yeah. Yvonne. And thank you, you. Thank Yvonne for sharing with us. Thank you so much.